0: Welcome to Racing Green, the podcast that explores the ideas, innovations, and influences making waves in the journey towards a sustainable future for our planet. In each episode, we investigate the new challenges, ingenious solutions, and the undiscovered opportunities that lie at the heart of our rapidly changing world. We aim to accelerate a new era founded on optimism and impactful collective responsibility. Today we sit down with Drew Purvis, research scientist at Google DeepMind. As we discuss the future of AI, its links to ecology, and how it can play a role in creating a better planet.
1: Welcome, Drew. Hi Jeffrey, really nice to meet you and thanks so much for the invite. It's great to be here. Great. Well, um, I wonder if I get a little bit of background on on you and and what you know what led you to AI. Oh, it's been uh, quite an interesting uh, long story I suppose. So I actually got into computer programming when I was a kid uh, right back in the 80s on these little uh, so-called 8-bit computers, the oh, Commodore 64 for me. Okay. Um but for whatever reason I got into to uh, coding life-like things, so-called artificial life. It just fired up my imagination. And that was my route into getting into real ecology and real life. So I studied that at university, went on to do a PhD uh, in ecology um, and, a, and a so-called postdoctoral research. So I did five years of postdoc research wow. at, at Princeton, all on that. Um, but I always had that interest uh, on the computational side. So it was kind of building s- little simulations and computational models of uh, whether it's plants or animals or, or what have you. That um, then took me to Microsoft Research, a major corporate research lab in Cambridge in the UK, and I actually had a research group for uh, many years, about eight years, um, scaling up that sort of work. So dealing with lots more ecological data and building more models in um, you know, forests and soil carbon and climate and and you name it. Um, then about eight years ago, I made a big switch into uh, Google DeepMind, where I now am, uh, to work on the fundamentals of uh, AI itself, which of course we're, we're going to get to, I'm sure. Um, and then more recently, I've actually been trying to join these two things uh, together again and thinking a bit more about how we can take what we've, we've learned in AI and apply it to um, biodiversity, for example, and other areas of sustainability. So it's been a really interesting uh, kind of career journey and, and one of the things I'd really stress is just the amazing colleagues I've been able to work with along the way um you know lots of different sorts of people in lots of different roles uh, it's been a really interesting uh, really interesting story and continues to be so quite, like you, you got in quite early
0: into this uh, into this um, world of ai
1: yeah i think yes and no it's an it's an interesting one because actually the the concepts around ai of course go back a long way you know 100 years or more and actually there was um some phases a few decades ago where people made some some important breakthroughs, but they hit some limitations, some which we'll talk about a little bit in terms of um, compute and, and data and so on. So, um, so, so it's true that in terms of the the more recent uptick in AI that we're now seeing this real AI revolution that, that that's happening. Um, DeepMind, uh, Google DeepMind, I'm uh, now and was especially early. And so when I joined, that's true. That was somewhat early in that in that revolution. But there is that much longer history that's it's good to remember as well. Great. Well. Um, tell us about Google DeepMind and, and, and how it today fits into the world of AI. Well, Google DeepMind has this two-part mission of solving intelligence and then using that to advance science and humanity. And it's had that two-part mission from the beginning. So the first part is about the sort of fundamental research trying to actually create and we'll get to this, I'm sure, but intelligence in silico, intelligence in a machine, you know, AI, mm-hmm. but it always had this other part of the mission as well, which was then to use that to, to uh, benefit science and humanity. Now, of course, that can mean several different things, but the part I'm personally particularly interested in is uh, environmental sustainability, whether that's climate change or or related areas. Um, another thing I would say about uh, Google DeepMind is, as well as it being one of the world's leading research um, institutions, which interestingly, quite a large fraction of that is based right here in, in London, uh, it actually took me uh, less than 15 minutes to walk from the London campus of Google DeepMind to, to the Camden studio today. So anyone local in Camden that's listening to this, it's amazing that we've got one of the world's uh, leading AI research labs literally down the road. Um, so that's one thing I would say about it. Uh, another thing is that um, as well as it being a leading research uh, organisation, um, I think it's played a particularly strong role in helping to shape the the global AI community in, mm-hmm. in raising... Uh, the profile of AI and encouraging research onto that when it when it was less fashionable back back a good few years ago, and also for example in in topics like safety and ethics and and working with the community to raise those topics as as, as well. So it's it's an amazing place. I'm very grateful to be there.
0: Great. So let's now talk AI in, in its pure essence. What what's the difference between artificial intelligence and
1: coding or or machine learning uh, per se? it's a really good question i i love this question like what is artificial intelligence and because the first thing to realize is there isn't a single definition of it um there's no hard definition of of what ai actually means but that doesn't mean that it's a meaningless concept by any by any means um like the the ai revolution that's happening at the moment really is a revolution and it really is ai but um but um so but to take a step back then uh, the way i tend to think of it is um we start to we start to say something is AI, when we see a computer that's able to do something, which if for example a human was to do it, we would we would say um, is evidence of intelligence. Um, and this is what's happening now as, as um, and I'll get to this in a second, but as data and compute and methods are all, are all developing, we're now seeing computers do things that previously we just couldn't imagine that they, they were able to do. Um, so that's one way to think about it. It's I suppose in the eye of the beholder, it's whatever we decide. To, to label as intelligence. But, but of course, now we are seeing many things that previously we very much did think of as intelligence. Um, another way to think about it, though, is, is the, the route that's taken us there. And I think, in some ways, that it's a little bit like kind of AI 101. So maybe, you know, deep breaths uh, to any of the listeners. And if you want to skip this bit, Especially maybe. Me. <laughs> but let's go through some of the basics. So I think um, uh, previously, if you wanted a computer to do something, you had to code it by hand. So you would, you would um, code up, if you like, the inputs and the outputs and the rules in between. Think, think of a really simple version like um, the light in your fridge. Yeah. You know, it's like a program that says, if door is open, light is on. If yeah. door is closed, light is off. Um, but of course, there are much more complex versions of that, um, like, the, say, the braking system in your car or what have you. So with enough effort, um, you can program computers just manually in that way to, to do relatively sophisticated things. But over the last few decades, we've seen the growth of, a, of an alternative methodology, which we call machine learning, and this is where capitalizing on data and other methods, the computers are able to learn to do things kind of by themselves um, and in, in the way that because we take it for granted that humans do. Um, so, for example, um, you when you were a baby, you, you spent a lot of time just passively listening to people speak mm-hmm. uh, and you would have noticed patterns in the speech. Yeah. Well, the, the computer science equivalent of that is called unsupervised learning. Uh, equally, there would have been times when an adult pointed to something like a cat and said, that's a cat. And the computer science equivalent of that is called supervised learning. So that's where you have so-called lab- label data. You have data with labels. And last but not least, when you learn to ride a bike, you'd have done it by trial and error. Yeah. And we call that reinforcement learning. So we have these, these uh, machine learning methods. Um, and that's been a gradual trend over, over a number of decades. And a good example of how that might appear in everyday life is uh, the song recommendations you get on your phone on a music streaming service. Uh, It's learned through the songs that you've liked, the kind of songs that you like and so on. So it's learned about you. So it's learned to recommend that. It's never been hand coded by a human. Um, Mm. However, now we're seeing a case where we're moving on from um, that that style of machine learning to, to, it's still based on machine learning, but now to do things that are so sophisticated that we, we that that we think of it as AI, and that that transition has been driven by something called deep learning. So this is still a machine learning method,
0: yep.
1: but it's using so-called deep learning models. And and what these models do they they are they have a structure that is has been inspired by this the structure of animal brains. So they have virtual neurons and virtual links between these neurons, um, and and. The, it's the combination of deep learning with two other trends, which is a huge amount of data—more data than we ever thought. We've we've collected more data as humans in the last five years than of all, all, all in, in all the previous uh, history. Uh, the compute, so of course the computers are now millions of times faster than they were, and then we have this new methodology of deep learning, and all of these these three have combined together recently to. Um, Enable computers to do things that are just dramatically more sophisticated than they could e- even even a few years ago. So again, I know that was a lot, but so yeah. hopefully that makes sense. So we've got you know machine learning, we've got deep learning, we've got data, we've got compute, and all of these trends are combining to to uh, create the revolution that is happening around us today.
0: Yeah, yeah, and is that because we're now at critical mass and there's just so much around that we've seen even in the last twelve months, or probably even in the last four months. <laughs> The mania around AI is just—it's just tipped into the general public perception of this is something that I'm now using. It's almost—I mean, if I look back at, say, PCs that were used by offices, and all of a sudden they were used by everyone—is—is—is is, is this where we're at now with AI?
1: It does feel like we're going through a, a genuine what you might call an inflection point at the yeah. moment. Um, place like places that. Go, uh, at places like Google DeepMind, um, and even before then, you know, these trends were in place a long time ago with with better uh, compute, uh, more data, the machine learning methods, the deep learning, all of those things I talked about. Um, but suddenly, that if it feels and I think it's genuine that there's been this recent acceleration and it feels like suddenly that progress is kind of broken through the surface to the point where everybody is noticing. And I've seen it with my own children, you know, they've all used all the these latest uh, for instance language models. Mm-hmm. Um, people are using them in the office. There's more and more headlines around AI, et cetera, et cetera. So so this is a this is a genuine moment. It's certainly in the perception of AI. I think mm-hmm. actually it's a, a genuine moment in the increase of the power and sophistication of the AI as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's actually been driven by those same trends we talked about in terms of the uh, increased compute, the increased data. Um, There was actually a particular methodological breakthrough in deep learning around something called transformers so if anyone if anyone wants to get geeky uh, go and read about transformers after after you've listened to this right. as well um, but th- so that's an example of actually the AI research that's innovation in, in AI itself right. but but again combined with the data and and, and, and compute um, that's really pushed uh, a certain kind of AI called generative AI over this threshold to the point that it's being noticed particularly in the language space in language data but actually increasingly in in um, uh, not just language, but actually in multimodal space, so models that combine language with images, like you would have seen some of the image generation work. So, so if anyone's, so if many people on the listening to this probably would have noticed this this this, this trend. Suddenly yeah, AI is like. everywhere. Yeah, and you know, but it, it is real. Um, it, it, yes, it's a continuation of a, of a long term trend. But, but also it, it's a real moment in, in AI that we're, that we're living through at the mm-hmm. moment. it's um, it's not it's, I, I would say it's not just hype, it, it's yeah. real, yeah. And, and it was there the
0: same... I mean, you, I, mean I guess working in it now, um, do you... Yeah, I mean, there must have been excitement, little moments of excitement, you know, over the last few years. Obviously, I, guess I get working in a lab kind of thing, but it just seems to have popped, you know. And so maybe... <laughs> Working
1: inside, it might feel, wow, I'm lucky to be here at this moment in time. That, that's that's very perceptive. I think um, certainly I, I moved in about eight years ago right in, in 2015 uh, into one of the leading research labs, Google DeepMind. Um, there are other research labs, including in academia and elsewhere, of course. And I think one of the things that everybody felt was that on a on quite a regular basis, you would see these breakthroughs either in inside your home institution or, or elsewhere in the community. And um, So we've seen those regularly o- over the years. Um, so it's, it's always been really exciting. And you know, some of them have been weird and wonderful and and really surprising. Um, and then culminating in this, in this, this uh, some of these recent breakthroughs in things like language modeling. Um, and of course we're anticipating yet more in the future. That's one thing to realize is there's still plenty to do. Like the the, the existing uh, methods and models that we have still have plenty of um, limitations and drawbacks. So there's there's still a lot yeah. of room for research and a lot of room for improvement. Um, but it's um, but it's really interesting. Now we're doing that. I think within a context of a lot of public perception, much stronger pu- public interest. Before it was a little bit like some of it was you know a bit more. It was you know the the, the researchers are watching and you yeah. know there was nothing sort of hidden about it as such. But it but now suddenly it feels like everything's on display. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: how do you think this? Artific- this world of artificial intelligence
1: um, will evolve over the next 10 years? That's a really interesting question. One, um, of course, there's no single answer to that. And of course, nobody exactly knows. I, I think I tend to look at it a little bit through the lens of um, ecology and ecosystems because that's how I, how I think about things. So that's one thing I would stress is that sometimes in the public perception of AI, um, certainly up until recently, it's perhaps this idea that AI was, I don't know, a robot standing in the corner or some kind of giant um, computer brain off in some it's data center somewhere. Exactly, exactly yeah. <laughs> and so in other words, very centralized, like in one place. Um, actually, I think uh, what's becoming clear is that AI will be much more distributed. It will become more like ubiquitous AI. And So think about uh, intelligence in real ecosystems. Where do you yeah. find it? Sometimes you find a large amount of intelligence concentrated in something like a, a human or a or a primate or a, an octopus, mm-hmm. but but there's also little bits of intelligence everywhere. You know, in every plant, yeah. every insect, yeah. every even every bacterium has a, a limited amount of intelligence. And I think when when we think about AI. Um, that's what it's going to be more like. Like there, there will be some major concentrations of intelligence and some big powerful models that are used for certain purposes. But there'll also be little bits of intelligence in every every device, and you know, sitting in your phone or in your you know, in the light switch or in your car or you know, etc. Right. It'll be sort of it'll be little bits of it everywhere. And then, like in real ecosystems, those those AI models and um, and those artificial intelligences, if you like, will interact with each other in yeah. a complex ecosystem. And let's not forget, they'll also be interacting with us and other devices. So there they're, they're are kind of, it's almost like the emergence of a new species in the ecosystem, wow. if you like. Um, yeah. It's a very different way to think about it, I, I think, to how it's usually portrayed. And I, and again, that's not the way to think about it, but it's, but it's the way I tend to think about yeah.
0: it. So ubiquitous intelligence was the word you used. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay, um, now... Here
0: on Racing Green, um, obviously, climate change, our environment, ecosystems, super important to us, um, and and really a a moment in time as well. For, um, and Max, maybe this you know two worlds coming together um, of AI and the need to solve the climate the climate change um, crisis. How do, how do you think that? Um, AI could be used to solve some of the problems we have uh, that we're facing the really grave problems we're facing with um, climate change
1: yeah that I means a really really important question I think when we think about you know we didn't uh, talk about it too much but you know why even do AI why generate it and, yeah. and it's and it's because um, those of us that are creating it in the community uh, we all believe that the that um, it has all kinds of potential benefits to the world and to humanity um, and and there are many of those, but uh, the ones I personally care about the most are the ones around environmental sustainability. And one important, very important aspect of environmental sustainability is climate change. Um, so in terms of exactly how AI will contribute to a problem like climate change, of course, actually actually, it will be in multiple different ways and no one knows exactly how. Um, uh, all sorts of people in the community are trying to work that out though, um, mm-hmm. so working hard at the moment to identify the most promising ways to, to apply uh, AI. Um, one way to think about that is you can break it up into a few categories of sort mm-hmm. of things that you could look at. So so one is an easy, easy one to forget is around understanding. So there are still many aspects of climate change that we actually don't understand very well. And if we don't understand them, we can't necessarily address them uh, very well. And so there's a role there, you know, whether it's, for instance, in understanding whether the recent um, heat waves and fires... Uh, in the Mediterranean, uh, resulted from climate change, or exactly how was it? The, was it the increased temperatures? Was it the reduced rainfall? Was it the wind speed, etc.? Yeah. Some of these fundamental questions, or for instance, questions around the impacts of climate change. You know, um, uh, what will be the potential impact of um, increased heat waves on, say, agricultural productivity, yeah. and, and so on. So it's an understanding question, but then you can move on to something like um, actually looking to use that understanding to mitigate. So that is reduce emissions or to adapt to climate change um, yeah. so th- an example of that might be for example changing the way that we uh, manage the um, the here in the UK the national grid the power networks right. to make them make them make them less wasteful think about the role of renewables in those yeah. so having to predict things like um, uh, the ahead of time predicting wind mm-hmm. speed and predicting sunlight that then allows you to manage the uh, manage the power grids better. Um, and then, but we could also think about more fundamental breakthroughs. So AI has a huge potential in science. We've already seen several, mm. um, amazing breakthroughs, uh, uh, in science, like mm. for instance, uh, AlphaFold that came from Google DeepMind's incredible, uh, achieve, uh, scientific achievement. Yeah. And maybe some of those scientific breakthroughs could then, uh, lead to, you know, a kind of radical change almost in, yeah. in the constraints around something like climate change. Example would be say fusion. Like if we right. could, there are various ways that we could have apply AI and if we can learn to manage the process of fusion in a reactor sufficiently yeah. to give us um, continuous uh, energy that could be a complete game changer yeah. for, for climate change so, that, yeah. I know, so I hope that doesn't seem to carbon capture who knows what it that's right yeah you know man, I mean and it goes back to that ubiquitous intelligence. You yeah. know, of course, there'll be you know there are ways to deploy AI in cars to make them more uh, fuel or energy efficient. Um, AI to run, for instance, the traffic light systems in in cities to reduce congestion, which is good mm-hmm. for uh, climate. Um, you know, A- AI in agriculture to help people to understand, like say, precision uh, irrigation or um, or when to harvest and when to not. Um, yeah. uh, alert systems. We've talked about the the the, the fire. Uh, uh, the fires earlier, you know, we had we had to evacuate nineteen thousand people from uh, Greece. You know, maybe with a better fire prediction system, we wouldn't have sent them there in the first place, right? Yeah. So, so this gives you an idea of all, all these many different areas. I know I hope that doesn't sound like a non-answer because we, we actually don't really know which of these potential deployments of AI mm-hmm. will be the most impactful. But it does seem there's mm-hmm. such a portfolio of options, though, that it seems relatively sure that at least some of these will be um uh, an important part mm. of the, the way that we solve climate change as, as humanity. Um, right.
0: Well, so so it's understanding, optimizing and then genuine game-changing breakthroughs potentially.
1: Yeah, that's one way exactly, one useful way to to think about it. Um uh, another thing I did want to to, to stress though because I think we might get onto my special topic of biodiversity is um in general when we're thinking about potential solutions to uh, uh to climate change um there's a special class of solution called nature-based solutions, and these are things like reducing deforestation or managing peatlands differently. So this this is using biology and ecosystem management as a way to address the climate uh, problem. Um, and so it's interesting for people to be aware of that that actually there's these nature-based solutions, and according to the latest uh, reports from this is the IPCC and so on, a surprisingly large fraction of the potential. Solutions to uh, climate change are in this category of nature-based solutions, Um, and there also there's potential for applying AI there. So, you know, which peatlands have the most potential for uh, storing carbon, or perhaps you know monitoring uh, change when it happens, you know, predicting deforestation ahead of time, or detecting Mm -hmm. it when it does happen. Yet again, in all of these different areas, there's potential deployment of AI there. So that's another another important category that. The application of AI in nature-based solutions. Uh,
0: that's perfect timing now to to move on to your uh, topic of expertise, and, and that is AI re- and how it relates to biodiversity and e- e- ecosystems. What what are some of the
1: um,
0: what are the links there? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, this is the part that I'm particularly excited about right now. So uh, thanks for that. I think uh, the, the first thing to say about that is that, of course, environmental sustainability is quite multidimensional. So we yeah. talked we touched on climate a little bit, yeah. um, because there are other important areas: water, air pollution, uh, food security, and so on. So there are many of these these challenges. They're all they're all interrelated. Um, it's one of the things that makes them interesting, but also very challenging to think about is that you can't solve any one of these without thinking about the links to the others. Um, so that's the broad framing. Uh, but the one that I'm um, personally thinking the most about at the moment is biodiversity. So this is widely right. recognised as um, one of the other uh, major environmental challenges that we're facing. Um, even in, for instance, you know, I was born in the 70s and... Since that time, according to the latest reports, animal populations on Earth have declined by an average of seventy percent. So we've had a seventy percent loss since I was born. Right? <laughs> right? Which, I mean, I'm laughing, had nothing but... to do with it, right? <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah, correlation and causation. Yeah, that's true. But um, yeah, so I mean, you know, it's shocking stuff, right? And and you know, a large fraction of the world's species are threatened with extinction and so on. So yeah. biodiversity is widely recognised as um, uh, one of the environmental crises that we're that we're going through. Um, um, at the same. Also, what we're seeing is a growing trend. Actually, for um, uh, governments and citizens, to be fair, have actually taken biodiversity seriously for quite a long time. But we're seeing an increasing trend in um, in the private sector across industries as well, different industries to consider biodiversity alongside climate. Um, and so, but in order to help all of these different stakeholders, governments, individuals, or or, or the private sector to address biodiversity loss, uh, we then the we need a lot more information of all different kinds compared to what we have now. And there's a lot of potential for deploying AI to, to generate that kind of information. So I have some sort of, again, yeah, again some schemes that we could talk through about how you yeah, might think some, about that and some examples.
0: What are some specific examples that you could see that, or that you'd love to apply AI to?
1: Yeah, often starting, starting more broadly with a bit of a scheme, I think yeah. I sometimes like to think of AI-powered data gathering. So that's getting more data on biodiversity in the first place. AI-powered integrated modeling. So that's taking all that data and integrating it together. And then last but not least, AI-powered decision-making. So if we think about those three, one of the interesting things on the first part of those, that's the AI-powered data gathering. Um, Traditionally, ecology ecology has been really limited by data. So just observations, for instance, of plants and animals in different places. This is an area where AI has already been transformative. So this is not theoretical at this point. Uh, It's quite exciting. So... Um, a, a number of people listening to this may have tried various apps on their phone where they're able to take a picture of a plant or a, a butterfly um, uh, uh, recording a bird song things like this and actually get a species ID from that or at least a suggested species ID um, that's actually only appeared quite recently it's, and for me my background is absolutely mind-blowing how you yeah. could do this take a picture on your phone and get get a species ID um, this is only possible because of not just machine learning but actually deep learning if, you know, deep learning is the thing that's that enables machine learning to be to be applied to things like images um so there's a, a particular app for example called iNaturalist. um we're going for a number of years now and initially when you used it it was kind of for experts in a sense like you'd have to go out you you'd, you'd take a picture but then you you would um, put your um, species ID on it because you actually knew what you were looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, although it was always really clever the way it dealt, had a community. So if you didn't know, other people in the community could come in mm-hmm. and label it. Um, so yeah. this was quite efficient and it led to a not, you know a large number of observations. But what it was also doing was gathering lots of data of images, because people yeah. were taking images and the labels together. More recently, I'm not sure when they rolled this out, um, uh, but they uh, then deployed deep learning to generate um, predictive models based off that data. That, of course, then makes the whole thing so much more attractive to amateurs. So now you can take a picture and get, get an image. Um, so iNaturalist is now the single largest source of ecological information anywhere. It's a phone app. And wow. by, by combining, and it, what, what's really interesting about it is the clever way that it's combined the, the, the mobile tech on the app, um, including things like being able to take a picture, but with the social element, right, mm. like people working mm. together with the AI yeah. and the deep learning. And, and it's created what we call a flywheel. That as, so we use the term flywheel to describe cases where um, the deployment of the AI actually leads to an increase in the data, which then feeds into the AI, which feeds into better deployment and so on. So it goes back yeah. and forth. And so now... Now you can like more and more people would use an app like that. Then gives us better and better models, and then it makes it more and more attractive to the next user, and and so on. Right. Um, so it's it's an incredible achievement. So that, and I I would say this is you know hands down transformative. Right. Like this is transforming the raw information that we actually have about uh, nature and life on Earth yep. through, through an app like this. Um, but you know on the other uh, on the other hand. Uh, at one level, it still just creates data. Yeah. And so then to address the biodiversity crisis that we want to look then further downstream to think, okay, we now integrate all that data together, let's say, so we can actually make, uh, let's say, forecasts and predictions about which species might increase or decrease okay. in response to things like climate change. Um, you, you could perhaps think a bit about it like uh, the that, that first stage, the iNaturalist type work, the AI powered data gathering is a... By analogy, it's a little bit like weather stations that give you those point observations, yep. but then you still need the weather modelling that integrates that mm. together so you can make a weather prediction anywhere. And that's, so that's the the, the next stage down is to integrate all this data together. Mm. So we can actually pick a point on the map, even if no one's ever been there and perhaps predict which species are there. Yes.
0: Um,
1: and if we could do that, then in theory, then we would give, again, NGOs, governments, individuals, just much more information about, about nature every, everywhere. Uh, and then that third category though is to say even with that even with all of those maps and all of those predictions let's say what actually matters is what people do do yeah. do they do they cut down that forest do they manage that woodland differently do they how do they you know perhaps uh, harvest natural species et etc etc do are they introducing new species and so on so that's the final category of ai powered decision making and i think that's also very exciting because in this recent this recent inflection point that we're going through in ai we can see how in other areas now people are routinely using ai um as part of their jobs and so um actively like interacting with these generative models and so you can imagine doing something analogous to that in um say conservation so you could have some kind of ai conservation assistant that you could you know perhaps you've you're doing a rewilding project, perhaps you're you're just looking to um, help wildlife in your garden, or perhaps you're a government looking to plan, you know, a, a network of nature reserves. But whoever you are, you've, you could have the AI to actively interact with back and forth, you know, ask questions, get it to do numerical analysis, whatever it might be. Um, so these are these three categories. So that's a bit of a long answer, but it's, yeah. it's something that's particularly obviously high in my mind at the moment.
0: When you talk about nature-based solutions. Um, and if you think of like quantum-based computing and all that kind of stuff, is it? is it possible that 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 there might actually be nature based solutions i.e. we might be using nature to produce data
1: i wouldn't get drawn into a guessing game on the timing no. of that but actually the but at least the principle is there and one way one way to think about that is um the amount of intelligence that is already present in nature and is distributed um in in nature so Every plant, every animal has a certain amount of intelligence and some plants and animals like us are extremely intelligent. Um, So that's a proof case that the machinery, the organic machinery that forms um, organisms and life on Earth is capable of uh, advanced intelligence. Like you and I are are, a living proof of that. Another really interesting angle, though, to consider is that uh, nature does that on extremely low amounts of energy. Yeah. So your, your brain's running on, I think, 40 or 60 watts or so on. Um, and at the moment, the AI technologies that we have to do anything even close, and of course they're not yet as intelligent as we are, are using a lot more energy than that. Um, now, that I don't mean to sound too, uh, certainly don't want to sound disparaging to the you know the community that I'm part of, yep. because in fact, the energy efficiency is increasing very quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're able to do more and more compute on less and less energy all the time, Um Equally, there are researchers looking very closely at uh, the efficiency of the algorithms and and the efficiency of the compute hardware. And last but not least, there are different ways that the AI itself might feed through in things like material design Mm. and so on to actually generate more efficient computers. Mm. But it's also a possibility somehow that we'll end up unlocking actual biological machinery. And there are a couple of interesting... I don't know if you've seen these, but there are a couple of cases where uh, people have um, grown um, organic um, neurons on agar plates and and they've, yeah. and they've trained one of those to play a video game. I don't oh, know if you saw that. Oh, that that's but, was the kind of stuff that yeah. I was thinking about or maybe ants doing the right. little <laughs> calculations for exactly. you. Or... So right. I can't remember what it's called, the, yeah. the particular project, but it's got, you know, quite rightly, it's got a number of headlines. So they've used some clever way of feeding the um, uh, output from the game Pong, the classic yeah. game Pong into yeah. this brain in a dish and they've right. trained the brain in a dish to play Pong. So, <laughs> you know, now probably, of course, at the moment together, there's no way that is like going to be a practical solution to, you know, to, it's not going to replace the AI that's on your phone Mm. anytime soon, but it is in a a funny sort of way. Like I think nature itself and experiments like that are a kind of proof that it's, that it's, that it's, Mm. um, it's at least possible in principle. And, you know, who who knows, like, you know, everything we're doing today, not just AI, but think about, you know, generally the technology that we have and so on. Um, Uh, of of which AI is a particularly obvious example at the moment. Um, Think about, you know, the distributed, you know, the the mobile tech that we have, the internet and all the rest. Um, And then go back two or 300 years, you know, imagine over that time scale, it's so unimaginable. So who knows in two or 300 years where we might be. And um, certainly, you know, it's very much speaking personally now, but I'm Mm. I'm someone that quite likes to think about those massive changes Mm. and I'm ultimately quite optimistic about them. Mm. Um, You know, and, and so AI feels like, Certainly, a big, possibly the biggest ever technological transition in human history. But yeah. like the others, I think in the long run, I'm I'm, I'm hoping it will be um, very much a force for good. Yeah, and all created
0: by nature itself, human beings.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah that's that's exactly right. Yeah, and and you know, I mean, maybe we'll get to this. I know, but you know, people quite rightly are considering some of the uh, safety issues and ethics around yeah. AI, etc., etc. And um, but the you know the reason we're working on these is because on AI itself, because ultimately we 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 um, we think it will be beneficial to uh, humanity as well as to the rest of the planet. Um, but we also need to make make sure it is. Um, mm. But as part of that, it's, it's a really easy thing to forget that the yeah, you know the AI doesn't create itself. Like every every bit of data is is collected by a human. Then the way that data is packaged and curated for the training, the selection of the data, humans do that. Um, humans create the hardware humans create the models humans decide which models to deploy how uh, you know uh, and when and so on Um, we have lots additional humans that um, actually rate the outputs Mm. of of these models and we use that and so on and so on so this is one giant you know human endeavor um, just like any other and and you know if if we can work together properly then we can then we can Help to make sure that this technology has the benefits that we want it to have, and, and very much minimise the the risks. Yeah, mm. and uh, it's easy to say; it's a very general answer, but at least that human angle on AI is very easy to forget. Uh, and in fact, you know, benefit of hindsight, I kind of wish I'd put it in at the beginning when you asked about it. But still, I'm glad you brought it up. That it, there's there, there's a, you know the hu- humanity's footprint is like all over AI. Okay. Yeah. So
0: there's a lot of sort of um, there's a lot of attention in the media and on social media, um, just everywhere about the potential risks of AI, um, are those risks real and, and what are some of the risks that the AI community are you know, currently concerned with or, or or
1: dealing with? Well, AI is clearly a transformative technology. In fact, it might be the most important technology that humans have ever developed. Um, so of course then it's going to bring um, a whole load of potential um, ethical and safety issues uh, that come along with it. Um, so that general perception that AI comes along with safety and ethical risks is completely reasonable. That's not you know, a public misconception or anything like that. It's something that everyone in the AI community also recognizes. Um, the, one of the important things to realize is that the community you know Google Deepmind, but other other institutions and academia and so on, is actually working quite hard together. To um, understand these risks, to do more fundamental research on them, as well as to uh, work with governments and, um, uh, for example, and NGOs, mm-hmm. uh, to understand how we can regulate this technology. Um, so there's a lot of activity in, in, in this space, and, and, the, and the collective intent of all of that, of course, is to make sure that we we maximise the benefits of AI whilst uh, reducing the uh, reducing the risks. Mm-hmm. Um, Another thing I would share. I mean, again, it's not my area, not my area of particular expertise. But mm-hmm. one one thing that um, I've noticed is that the our, I think in the community, our understanding of the risk, but also the perception, is shifting a bit. I think a few years ago, it felt like it was the sort of the classic, you know, kind of AI taking over, sort of sci-fi like um, scenario. And the thing about that one is that it was always always a little bit of sci-fi, and it was always um, it seemed to place the risk quite a long time in the future. Mm-hmm. So this idea that was this might happen eventually mm-hmm. um, was become more and more clear. And I think many people in the community saw this, but now it's more widely appreciated is actually all the steps along the way also come with safety and ethical um, uh, considerations as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, once you have AI on your phone recommending... Um, All sorts of things, or you have, you know, you've got AI providing information when you're doing, when you're searching for information. There's a potential for various biases, for example, you know, uh, that that we that we don't want to see. We don't want to see um, AI kind of assuming that every doctor is male, right? For example, you know, these things really matter um, in terms of um, Mm. making humanity. Feel included all, all people, all of humanity. You know, yeah. uh, feel included, etc., um, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So that's that's so everything from those very near term measurable biases that we have now, right through to some of the more serious long term risks. Um, so these are all things that need to be thought about uh, very, very mm-hmm. carefully. But you know, the community is working really hard on this.
0: Mm. Could could AI um, make us more intelligent or even less intelligent, <laughs> i.e., losing our ability to think uh, or is this extension of of AI allows us to have even more unlimited possibilities of what our brains can do?
1: Probably have a couple of answers to that one. Like The first one, I think, is this is a good reminder of how a lot of the interesting topics and research around AI now are not around the computer science and the technology itself, but are actually around these broader questions about what it means to have this ubiquitous intelligence. How do humans interact with it? What will that Mean in terms of interaction between people, um, um, e- economies, and so on, like th- this much wider picture. We sometimes use this term socio-technical system, that the that the the technical bar is actually nested within a social system. Yeah. So there's a good reminder of this that like this this and all of these questions around how humans and AIs are going to interact and what that means are actually very interesting. As far as this particular question though about will AI make us smarter or less smart and so on, I mean. Obviously, again, no, no single answer to that. But um, maybe I'll get a bit more personal on that one. I've been yeah. thinking about this recently in lockdown. Um, like a lot of people, I think I tried a few things, and most things didn't stick. But the things that really the thing that really stopped was playing the guitar. So now I, you know, I've always done a bit of singing, actually, including with colleagues at work. <laughs> but uh, I can never play. And then I wanted to accompany myself, and I got really into the guitar. And of course, there, you know, I can. I've got this app where I can look up the chords of any song, right? Yeah. And so that has been transformative for me in learning the guitar i think on one level because i think i probably would have given up if not for the fact that i could easily look up the next song and i could find the song that was quite good for me etc to do and and if you imagine apl- um, applying ai in a setting like that which people are already increasingly doing then the, the 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 potential for applying ai in education in that way to actually upskill people is huge on the other hand it has made me reflect on the fact that that i have developed no skill whatsoever in actually working out the chords to a song because yeah. I've not forced myself to do it because I just look up the next song. So, and, and it's made me, I have been reflecting a little bit recently on how, um, how amazing the human brain is. And you know, the human brain or the animal brain is actually the inspiration for deep learning that's powered all of this. Right. It's like the original, the original <laughs> intelligence, right? And how if we can if you if you put the effort in and load a skill into that, then that then nothing beats that right now. Right. Yeah. Like the human brain is is incredible at these sorts of skill things. So it almost makes you wonder whether we sort of have a choice as individual humans. Like which things do we want to kind of offload to the to the ai to say this is this is a, a kind of skill that is not particularly dear to me and i'd rather just have an easy solution to it and, and which things do i really want to make those special mm-hmm. skills and there i think the the I, I, an ai can obviously help in that offloading scenario it can sort okay. of do something for you but but i think it also has potential to help in this upskilling thing because it could be an amazing teacher you know um to really help you to, to learn for itself and it's interesting to think of the different modes there because yeah. the signature of the first one, if that's a useful AI, is that you use it all the time. Think about, I mean, like I navigated here, obviously with yeah. with, with Google Maps, right? Um, and and that you know those have those have AI in them now, so you can say I kind of navigated, and, and the signature of that is I use it all the time. Yeah. The funny thing about the signature of the teacher is that eventually maybe it turns you're done. Yeah. So it's almost an AI whose success metric is, you know, the teacher is done, like my job here is done. And I, I love the idea that actually that it's a that the teacher that eventually says, I, you don't need me anymore. That was the point, mm. to you know. Um, so, I mean, we're sort of straight, yeah. I'm very much talking personally here, by the way, but I think yeah. it's really interesting to think through them. Do you think AI is going to create more jobs or take jobs away? Firstly, AI is the latest and greatest of the, the technological advances that humans have been able to create. And the previous ones have been able to, uh, on aggregate improve the economy improve people's lives and and have not taken away jobs right so yeah. um so at that level you know may, that that's one possibility as we project into the future that the same will be true that doesn't mean mm. that individual that jobs won't change the world of work mm. won't change but on net it will mm. lead to just as much you know productivity and just mm. many many jobs um again speaking personally though it's also interesting to think um of the broader question about whether AI could trigger changes in our value systems and in the way that actually we, you know, work more more broadly as humans together in this in this society and in this economy, mm-hmm. um, who knows, right? Like, mm. you know, may, maybe we won't be quite so anchored on uh, working, you know, eight, ten, twelve hours a day, six days a week, with a, co- mm. <laughs> a couple of weeks off. You know,
0: yep. who knows? Um, in some, there's just a, a massive opportunity for humanity through um, this sort of AI opportunity where we're at a we're really at the beginning of a of, of, of something quite profound. Um I wonder if you could just leave us with one thought about what we might be using AI for um in some way to make ourselves a better human
1: race. As much as my current focus is on environmental sustainability, you know, which we talked a bit about, uh, with a special focus on biodiversity. Um, I do wonder sometimes whether one of the most important routes to impact for AI will be through education, because it's you can think of it as a kind of base layer that enables so much more. Um, it, the more educated our people are, the more informed they are, the, then the better able they are to adjust their individual lives to to be able to um, create sustainability, uh, but also the better able they are to work with others to create these more societal solutions mm-hmm. to things like climate change and biodiversity and so on. Um, I personally think that there's a lot of scope for education to improve, even in mm-hmm. advanced, you know, even in wealthy countries like yeah. um, uh, like the UK, um, but also think about the growing populations we have uh, across the world in places like sub-Saharan Africa where you couldn't roll out a traditional education system to, to that many people so quickly even if you tried um so i think i so that that, that would be one, one area i think about you know wow. the, the potential for um ai to improve education as a kind of base layer sort of yeah. contribution to all sorts of societal uh, challenges yeah great well drew thanks for joining us here today on racing green Oh, yeah. Well, again, thanks for the invite. It's great to have a chance to talk through things actually so so broadly. I hope it makes some sense.